Okie dokie. Oh. A podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today, we're continuing our journey through the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 9. If you remember in the previous episode, we had learned that Herod had died while Jesus and his family were taking refuge in Egypt, and they returned to Nazareth, and we got our first glimpse at Jesus' character when they went to Jerusalem uh, for Passover and how he just had this insatiable love for being in the temple and learning about the biblical narrative um, and how he grew in wisdom and stature. Yes, he did. So we are going to pick up right where we left off. Uh, Paul, I know that we need to probably give a quick warning uh, <laughs> to our listeners of how this episode is going to go before we jump into it. Do you care to do that for us? Yeah. Um, so all along thus far, we've been fortunate in that even though we're trying to go through all of the Gospels in one fell swoop, um, they broke up into nice uh, separate little parts. Hey, we're going to talk a little bit about Matthew here, a little from Luke here, a little from Mark over there, whatever. John, well, now is where everything starts to come together, and so that word synoptic gospel starts to raise its, its ugly head here. And so we're going to try to deal with texts in parallel as we go. So I'll try to give you a clue of what we're reading from everywhere, and then I'll probably just limit the reading to one copy so that we're not overdoing, because we've got a lot of commentary to do today. Sweet. And just to let our listeners know, we will have a PDF that shows this table that Paul has created of the order in which he is referencing uh, these verses in the multiple Gospels. So if you check your presentation page on your podcast app, you should be able to click on that and use that as a good reference. Yeah, and you know how sometimes when you set your expectations really high and then things work out and you end up being disappointed, and then other times when you set your expectations really low and then, you know, things, and it's like, oh, that was better than I thought. Okay, do yourself a favor and set your expectations really low on the PDF. (laughs) Yeah, it's better than nothing. Oh, it, it, it will definitely be helpful, but, you know, we're not like, artists or anything so (laughs) yeah analytical minded yeah 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 all right so where do we begin all right well uh the first little section we're going to look at it actually stands all by itself it comes from mark we're gonna this is the first time we've looked at the book of mark and it's going to be chapter one verse one all right it says the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god Now, you wouldn't think we'd have much to talk about there, but stand back. Oh, boy. (laughs) No. All right. So, number one, when it says the gospel of Jesus Christ, I mean, immediately you ought to be asking the question, so is this the gospel that Jesus Christ brought, or is this the gospel meaning Jesus is it, right? Mm -hmm. And and the truth is, okay, you know, both. But here's what we're going to say. This gospel of Jesus Christ, number one, Everybody knows, well, I shouldn't say everybody knows, but it's pretty common knowledge that gospel means good news. And so 
what we're going to try to highlight going through here is that the good news that we're talking about is twofold. Number one, that Jesus, this Messiah, this promised king, has come. And then the second part of that that's related is that this king has a kingdom. And so the kingdom is at hand. Because obviously, if the king is here, the kingdom must follow. So it's it's right here. It's really close. So having said that, um, and I want to be careful here because I don't want anybody to think that I'm like picking on them or making fun of them. But you know what? Decent, good, ordinary people. There are people out there who hear this phrase, Jesus Christ. And I mean, they actually think that it's his last name. Definitely. And we, yeah. you know, we don't want to laugh or giggle or anything, but it's not. It's not his last name. It's a title. It would be so much better if the text actually said Jesus the Christ, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing Christ, okay, that's English, and it's the English version of the Greek. And then the Greek is really just a repeat of a word in Hebrew. Mashiach, Messiah, mm-hmm. and and that it's all the same thing. Messiah, Christ, it's all the same word, and all it really means is the Anointed One. So, not his last name; it's a title. And then one other little tidbit: uh, it says here at the end, "the Son of God," and actually, not all of the manuscripts even have that little bit hanging on the end. Um, and so some of the translations don't have it either. It's okay. Uh, but we're going to talk about it a little bit just because it's it's here and it's in play. And the first thing I'd like to do is, is maybe um, expand a little bit on this idea of who exactly the Son of God is. And so, Samuel, if you wouldn't mind, maybe you could read me a little bit from Exodus 4.22. Sure. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Yeah. So, right there, wait a minute, who's the son of God? Well, it's Israel. Now, we know that in this passage and in all of the New Testament that Jesus is the son of God. And so, if I could just offer this up, there's a sense in which we need to recognize that Jesus he kind of is Israel, or he, or he represents Israel. He stands for Israel, okay? So that's an important concept to have in your mind. And then here's another one. Uh, 2 Samuel seven fourteen. Boy, I know that one's come up before, and it probably is going to come up some more. Samuel, go ahead and read me a little bit of that one again. I'll stop okay. you. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Okay, let's stop there. Now, in the passage, if we're just going with like the, the, the plain, literal meaning, practical, at the time it was written kind of stuff, this is talking about Solomon. Mm-hmm. But, and, and he's to be God's son, if you will, if we could put it that way. So, uh, but we also know that Jesus is in the line of David. He's a descendant of David further down the line. And so... We need to, uh, I guess the connection I'm making here is that Jesus is David's offspring. 
just like Solomon was. So we've got Jesus is Israel. Jesus is David's offspring. And of course, the promise that's been uh, given all along is that there's going to be a king that comes from David and he will be the the final and eternal king. Okay, so this is the part of the connection we're making here. And then one more, Samuel. Uh, I actually, uh, we're working with a little snippet here. So we're starting partway through. Psalm 2-7, if you could read that. Mm-hmm. The Lord said to me, quote, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Yeah. And now this, uh, Psalm 2, uh, boy, Jews, Christians, everybody looks back at Psalm 2 as like a Messiah Psalm, okay? And so, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Very easy for us, of course, sitting here today, that that's talking about Jesus. Uh, But this is, again, I want to point it back to, this is the long-awaited Davidic king, the Messiah that's promised. So, when we read the Son of God, all of these things are, are, are in play. So again, if, if you were alive during this time and you had, either you were Jewish or you had you know, association with uh, Jews who could help you see and understand these things, all of these kind of thoughts, and probably many more, are going to be running through your head. So I wanted to get that out. And then, <laughs> I just think this is kind of funny. Mark starts out saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the very next thing we're going to talk about in all three gospels that are in play here is John the Baptist, not Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise! Yeah. (laughs) Just in case you thought you knew where you were, what we were talking about, we're going to trip it up a little bit. So, uh, I'm going to now move, unless you have any comments or questions, Samuel. Uh, The only thing I had to say was just remember... Uh, listeners that Jews have no problem um, when they're referencing a prophecy or a text from the Torah or the writings or the prophets, they hold that present time meaning, which means, you know, the time that that text was written, what was it actually written for? They hold that firmly, and then they also are able to look at those shadows and yes. so when a Jewish reader hears the Son of God, they know their text so well that, you know, those images of the Davidic line and God's promise to David to have an heir on the throne forever, you know, it's not a problem to them to say, oh, they're connecting Yeshua with all those Old Testament passages, but I know that it also means this on a surface level, too. So yeah. just keep that in mind. Yeah, good point, and we're probably going to say that more times than you will ever care to know by the end of this podcast, if there ever yeah. is an end. I mean, we'll die yeah. eventually, but, yeah. well, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, okay, so, all right, then, let's move on. So, we're going to switch from Mark. We're going to move over to Luke, uh, chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 1 and 2. And again, you know, we're starting off early here. We're, we're looking at the Luke passage all by itself, but it says this, and I'm just going to say up front, don't worry about the pronunciations you know, I don't claim to be the guy that knows how to pronounce everything. But here we go. Luke 3, 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, whatever, uh, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, 
During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Okay, once again, Luke has given us enough words that we can actually have no clue what he just said. Yeah, glazed over. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But here, we're going to break it down a little bit, okay? So, remember uh, Herod that just died? The one that killed the babies? Yes. Okay. When he died, he ruled over an area, fairly large geographical area. What Luke is trying to do is simply break it down and say, okay, here's how things got broken up and who was was ruling where and and who's related to who and that kind of thing. So on one hand, he's just trying to center us in history, if you will. And so what this does, it brings us back to um, the, uh, it's the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. And so historically, you know, that puts us pretty close to around 28 AD. It's, it's a really good guess and not everybody agrees, but you know, it's pretty common. And, and I just want to bring this up again. Remember Herod died back in four BC. That's also pretty common understanding. And so no matter how you slice it, Jesus was born before that Herod died, and this would make Jesus, you know, 34-ish. So, uh, that's just another one of those examples where if you're really trying to figure out how old Jesus was and all this kind of thing, you know, it seems like he's a little older than maybe some of the stories that that we've heard along the way, Uh, but we're still in the ballpark, and that's only if we're right. So, whatever. We got that. And again, uh, we got this geographical area. they're getting divided up, and this is all just because of Herod's death, uh, other people take over, whatever. But then, if we can, and not really ignore verse 1, but if we can now just sort of get that out of our head, verse 2 is where we really get to the part of the story that's that's really relevant, um, at least in terms of John and the ministry and, and whatever. So it says, during this high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, okay. Here's what you need to know. This is, uh, this is politics like you've never seen. The high priesthood was literally purchased. It was what? something, yeah, it was under the power of the Romans. And so for you to claim that spot, well, what is something that you can do to make sure that you have favor? <laughs> Money speaks, Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the priesthood was literally purchased during this time. And so Annas ruled, if you want to call it that. And and there was a time period when he was like the actual high priest, so he ruled directly. And then other times when he only ruled by influence because his his uh, now I forget it's either his son or son-in-law, can't really remember. Uh, but he ruled through him and even others, but Annas and Caiaphas mostly, they ruled through most of Jesus's life and, and nearly up to the time of the destruction of the temple. And an interesting note, and this is going to become, you know, more interesting as we go, they were also the leaders of the Sadducees. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, for people who don't know, we'll probably talk about it a little bit more. You had some basic... Uh, like the, the, the leading groups of the time, you had the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. 
So we'll talk a little bit about some of this here. Um, first, let's do this, because uh, this will help us. Uh, Samuel, read from Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Mm-hmm. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Yeah. Now, does that not sound weird? Yeah. Most people are like, Pharisees were a bunch of idiots. You know, they got a got everything wrong. <laughs> right. And also, I mean, just because, you know, we're Christians and, and that's Judeo-Christian and these are Jews and, and you think, well, but we think that spirits are real and angels are real and there is a resurrection. How could there have been a group that didn't believe that? Right? Mm-hmm. But the, Sar- the I'm sorry, the Sarasees. <laughs> <laughs> that's for the people who couldn't make up their mind. <laughs> but you had the Sadducees that no resurrection, no angel, no spirit, and that's where we get the old joke that says, that's why they were sad, you see? <laughs> Donuts. Yeah. So, so that's the Sadducees. And, but remember what it said at the end, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And to your point, man, the Pharisees, they always get such a bad rap. They just, it's like they're the bad guys. But we're going to see. As we continue through our study, they really were awesome in many ways. Okay, I'll admit, they failed miserably in others, but we can't throw out the good just because there's bad. We need to, we need to recognize both sides of their equation, and we would, do rel- we would do well to recognize and imitate the good that, that the Pharisees had while remaining vigilant not to fall into some of the same badness. And hopefully, as we continue through our uh, studies, we'll we'll help do that. Mm -hmm. And then finally, so uh, let's see, let me look at the text here real quick. It says, um, the word of God came to John. So it's like in the 15th year, here's all these people. You got the high priesthood, Annas and Caiaphas. Luke, what's your point? Oh, sorry. What I was saying was the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. That's really what Luke is. I mean, that's the important part of what he's getting at, right? So finally, we see we got John the Baptist. He's in the wilderness. He's getting the go signal from God. And I mean, in some sense, this probably ought to take us back. Uh, Well, that was our first episode, right? Uh, Talking Mm -hmm. about John. In fact, Mm -hmm. Read that little bit there, uh, if you can, Samuel. Let's go back to John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Yep. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Yeah. And we talked a lot about that then, so we're not going to rehash it. You can go back to that first episode and listen. But... This thing where, you know, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness, okay, that's, that's parallel with what we're reading about John the Baptist back in John the Gospel writer, right? So mm-hmm. just, just making the connection so you can kind of see these things working together. And then the, even this idea of the word of God coming to John in the wilderness, well, we're going to see more about that below but let's uh let's keep going you got anything before we move on because this is going to get uh we got a lot of references here now yeah i just want to drop a little nugget i'm i'm not 
maybe both of us can agree to say nothing and just leave it as something for the people to wrestle with <laughs> about the Pharisees until Doesn't we sound get to like that us. point in the story. So <laughs> yeah. Jesus himself, uh, after he starts his ministry, Matthew five twenty, he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So just throwing that little tidbit out there for you to think and wrestle with about uh, the Pharisees before, you know, until we get there. Yeah. Your point, and the one that we're going to really accentuate when we do finally get there, is that, gee, maybe the Pharisees weren't intended to be such a low bar, but actually a high bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. <laughs> We got Sweet. people ready to hit the stop button on their podcast yeah. right about now. <laughs> <laughs> or they're furiously taking down notes to bring it up in group. That's right. That's right. All right. So here, here's where we're headed. This next little bit, um, we've got uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And this kind of coincides with Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, except that they get a little kind of out of order. So that's a thing. And then we also are looking at Luke chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. So I think what I'm going to do is just go ahead and read the Luke part. Uh, It has more detail, but doesn't have everything. Uh, And then we'll just talk about it from there. So Luke 3, 3 says this. And he went, this would be John the Baptist, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Woo! We got a lot to talk about here, too, but let's start. Yeah. So, number one, can we just talk a little bit about this thing of in the wilderness? Um, Samuel, you're an American, like me. When somebody says to you, desert, what is the image that's in your head? I mean, complete isolation, just nothing but dunes of sand, no water. No people, I mean, nothing. No life, nothing. That's right. Sand and sun, right. Okay, so a lot of people, they hear the word wilderness, and they just translate in, that, in their head to desert. And I don't think that's a good idea. Even when we talk about the desert places over in and around the land of Israel, okay, they're not like great or anything, but they're not just sand and sun. There's actual life that goes on in the desert places around. So here's what I want to get out. When we say in the wilderness, okay, maybe John was in a desert kind of place. And by that, I mean an Israeli desert kind of place, not so much a Saharan desert kind of place, okay? But, But John was called around the Jordan. So, when John was living on his own, it, it doesn't even have to be a deserty kind of place at all. It could have simply meant untamed land, a place where nobody else was living. There was, you know, nobody's cultivating the land. 
or animals or anything of that. And there's no real civilization. But that's when he was living on his own. When he gets called, he has to do his ministry somewhere there around the Jordan. And that definitely was not deserty at all. And in fact, it's not so much wilderness anymore um, because it was kind of a popular place. And what I mean by that is uh, this place where John is. Okay, and, and I'm not saying um, we know the exact uh, GPS coordinates and all of these things occurred in the exact same spot. I'm just saying, generally speaking, this area that John is in, historically we had uh, like Moses doing his farewell address uh, before he died. Uh, of course, Israel crossing into the promised land and and the circumcision that happens, similar time frame there. Uh, the, the Elijah, uh, when he split the waters, is, an, is another thing. So this little area where he is, there's, you know, some sense of of popularity to it. So anyway, I, the, the point is just to say, when it says in the wilderness, let's not go too far with our mental image of what we're talking about uh, and know that John, uh, he was in a place where, you know, he could live. It was fine. Mm-hmm. But I got to ask you, forgetting everything that I just said about wilderness, just going back to the scriptures alone, when we start talking about wilderness, what does that remind you of, Samuel? Oh, man. Sounds like when uh, God called Israel out of bondage of Egypt and he married them at Sinai and then he yeah. took them into the wilderness. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's There's a numerical kind of like a, it's seen as a symbol for like testing or you know, true fire way to see where your heart is, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And how long were they there? Uh, 40 years. Yeah, that's a long time. And mm-hmm. I think if if we were honest, and, and it, even even separate from Scripture, just talking about our lives, people who are Christian, I think that everybody understands this idea that God is in the wilderness. We don't want to go there. We don't like it there. But so often, especially, beauty of hindsight, when we look back, we understand that God is in the wilderness and he does awesome things in us, through us, for us, whatever. The wilderness isn't a bad thing. Mm -mm. And so, just for a moment, let's just talk. uh, When Israel was in the wilderness, some of the highlights, can you think of some things that uh, Israel received when they were in their wilderness? Well, they see, received provision. God gave them manna and yeah. quail and water from the rock. Yeah. Um, he gave them instruction through, you know, via the Torah on the top of Sinai. Yes. Um. Yeah, that's all that comes to mind at the moment. Yeah, well, and those are great. That's the, they're in my list, um, and I thought about it before. Um, things that, that, like, I figure the highlights, the big important things, the law, the Torah, uh, those that's great. Um, God's presence. They built that tabernacle. I mean, he was on top of the mountain. Uh, he's leading them, the pillar of fire and cloud. It, the presence in the tabernacle, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, even even the the ideas of atonement and forgiveness, they were associated with that tabernacle. Now, back in Exodus, the scope is limited. It's only about your physical body and and 
and that kind of thing, which is, but it's still important to remember because it it relates to what Jesus does on a more eternal scope, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They became a nation. That was a big deal. Uh, They were actually a kingdom, if we want to be precise about it, because God was their king. So that's an important picture. And uh, another one that you said, God was their provision. And I want to point out a very important aspect of that provision. The provision was always enough. And I say that because we're going to juxtapose that provision of the kingdom as being abundance. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you see this whole idea. This is another thing. When we're talking about shadows in the Old Testament, talking about the New Testament, and of course, the coming kingdom, etc. Whatever we see in the shadow is inferior to the coming expectation. So that's going to be a continual theme. I just wanted to toss that one out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do we have in this text? So, so John comes, and what's he doing? He's baptizing, uh, proclaiming a baptism. And now what was his baptism about? Well, first let's talk about what it looked like. You know, today, depends on what church you go to, what are some of the different ways you might get baptized, Samuel? Uh, let's see, immersion, if you're fully dunked or yeah. sprinkled. Yeah. Um, well, they do one even where they pour water on you, so it's like in between a sprinkle and a dunk. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that's a one. So the point is, we have turned this into this weird denominational thing. It's like an argument, whatever. Okay, stop for a second. This is first century Judaism. There is no argument about what we're talking about here. You see the word baptism, you need to know, for them, the word was immersion. And it was exactly what they did. When you were baptized, you were immersed, period. So this is another point. When you're reading your Bible, you see the word baptism, you need to know, regardless of what you do in your church, and I'm not like saying anybody's doing anything right or wrong or whatever, that's not the point. When you're reading your Bible, you see the word baptism. It's immersion. You need to know that. Keep that in your head. Also, what's another thing that we do a lot in churches, Samuel? When you're going to get baptized, you get placed where? Especially if you're dunking. Um, In a baptistry? Yeah, yeah. Which is a fancy name for a hot tub. (laughs) <laughs> okay, maybe not really. I mean, they're, they're different, but whatever. It is. It's a lot like a hot tub. The Glorified point, bathtub. That's right. The, the point of it is to say they just put a bunch of water in it and it just sits there. But in the Jewish tradition, and that's what we're looking at at this time, Ju- Jesus's day, it had to be living water, meaning the water had to have a natural source like rain or a spring or uh, if you think of it as like runoff where you get the rivers and streams and that kind of stuff, it had to be living water. And the whole point of baptism, it was physical purity. At least when we're talking about the tabernacle and being in the camp of Israel, it's about physical purity or ritual purity. And it was, it's, it's truly symbolic. Even with the ritual purity thing, was dipping in the water actually making them pure in some way? Well, no, okay, not really. I mean, obviously there's a rinsing effect or whatever, but but it's symbolic. And, and if we could step just a little bit outside of the purity, 
uh, it was very common to look at baptism as being symbolic for the idea of birth, and maybe even more specifically, rebirth. The idea is that you you go down into the water, and that represents a death of some sort, and then you come up out of the water, and that represents a new life or a rebirth. I mean, it matters, you know, what what is the purpose of your baptism. It has some symbolic meaning as well in that, but uh, it's symbolizing uh, rebirth. So that's, that is an important image. That's going to come up more as we go. And it's something that God actually prescribed as a commandment for Israel to do in the Torah. Like, oh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty yeah. sure it's Leviticus chapters 13 through 15 talk about it, especially with, you know, Paul had mentioned uncleanliness. So they particularly mention like those with leprosy or those that have some type of discharge that makes them ritually unclean. So, you know, there was an expectation that, you know, baptism was something that God commanded you to do um, so that you could draw near to him. Yeah, exactly. And since you brought it up, I I, want to ask you, if you are ritually unclean, if you are unclean, is that a sin? Oh, I would hope not. As sounds like most of those people couldn't control if they had leprosy or if they had a discharge. That would not make God very nice if if that was sinful. Exactly. Exactly. And and it's important though that we separate those two ideas. Being unclean is not sinful. In fact, I'm going to scare people. Jesus many times throughout his life became unclean. But we also know that Jesus was without sin. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, it's good, 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 good picture. All right. So, okay. Now, again, going back to the text. Uh, now, in Luke, it said that uh, he was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew says it a little bit differently, and it's important what Matthew says. John the Baptist came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now. Here's another part where, Samuel, people are going to look at us like we got, well, let's just say multiple heads. Uh, What John the Baptist was saying right there, at least the way Matthew tells the story, I know that most people who are going to hear this podcast, they're going to think, if somebody asks them, what's the gospel? Well, I'll give you a shot at it, Samuel. What are they going to say? It's that God loved the world so much, despite all the stuff that's messed up with humanity in the world, that he sent his son uh, to live a perfect life and die for our sins so that we might have eternal life. That's it. Jesus came, died on the cross so that our sins could be uh, forgiven and we could live forever with him in heaven. And I'm here to tell you, that is an awesome, awesome, wonderful thing. And I wouldn't begin to argue that uh, those things aren't aren't true in 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 the way that they're they're told, but that's not the gospel. It is good news, but it's not the good news. At least not the way a first century Jew involved in this whole thing would have understood it. So the first part, notice he says, repent. Well, that seems really hard to include in something called good news. I mean, that's just weird, right? And I'm even going to go a little further. When we say repent, it's important that you understand the way that we're talking about it. To repent 
means to return to the law. And even beyond that, to return to Torah, everything we understand from Torah. And by doing that, you might receive forgiveness. Okay? Now, in this context, when John is saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand, okay, we're not talking just about the forgiveness in the scope that was in the tabernacle. We've moved beyond that now to the eternal scope, like the actual cleansing of your inner self, your, your conscience, if you will, that kind of thing. And, and through this repentance, you might enjoy this coming kingdom with the, the presence of God in the ruling King Messiah. And now here, here we're going to talk about this kingdom and God's provision. It isn't just enough. It's overabundant. So John is preaching a gospel message that is about the kingdom. This is the good news to everyone that we're talking about in this story. This is the thing that they're waiting for. And so John, I'm sorry, well, John is saying it according to Matthew. He starts with repent because he sees that as the way for his listeners to take part in the good news of this coming kingdom. Is that kind of making sense? Yeah, and it, I mean, it probably is coming across as a little anticlimactic to some of our listeners to say, wait, the gospel is about the kingdom? What? But think about, you know, Jewish culture and how ingrained in their DNA as a people group the biblical narrative is where God promised their original forefather you know, I'm going to make your nation great and all nations around you are going to be great. And then through David, like there's going to be a day where one of your descendants is going to reign forever and his kingdom will never end. And all nations of the earth are going to flock to Jerusalem and they're going to worship me and we're going to, you know, carry out his instruction, my instruction perfectly so that, you know, we relate to God the best and we can relate to our fellow neighbor the best. So yeah. it, it it means a lot more to a Jewish listener than to us because the kingdom is such a bigger deal to them than it is to us in the West. Yeah. And, and you know what it is? What we've done is we've just skipped by huge portions of the story. We've jumped straight to the end. And okay, the way that we would phrase it is we just get to go to heaven. Now... <laughs> Spoiler, spoiler alert, <laughs> we're, we're going to have a slightly different view on that, um, uh, but we're missing out on all the important parts, and, and in the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, but also the New Testament scriptures, the, the real end goal is the kingdom. So, kind of got to get that in our heads. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's the culmination of everything that a people group have been waiting on with God. Yeah, yeah, it's truly good news in their perspective. So, okay, just to kind of put a little flesh on the bone, if you will, this kingdom of heaven. Okay, first of all, you're going to hear a couple different phrases in your New Testament scriptures. Sometimes we're going to call it kingdom of heaven, sometimes kingdom of God. There are people who try to make this uh, into like unique, separate, distinct things as if they have some own, their, their own quality, personality, whatever. Um, they're the same thing. 
Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing. You can call it euphemism. You can call it uh, circumlocution. You can call it whatever you want. They're the same thing, all right? We're talking about the literal reign of Messiah here on the earth. And when I say the earth, I mean this one, the same one we're on right now. But it's going to be when Jesus returns. Now, it's also, in a sense, those who have been recreated or regenerated spiritually. Those people, in a sense, make up the kingdom. Now, that probably sounds a little bit weird. So we're talking about a literal kingdom where a king is going to reign sometime here on the earth in the future. But it's also those of us who are, let's just say, a part of that story. Messianic Jews, Christians, whoever you want to call them, right? We, in a sense, are bringing this kingdom into this world and this time. We're the conduit, if you will. Now, now, here, when we're reading in the actual Gospels, the king was actually there. He was like, you know, among us, we would say, right? And so, so when we hear John saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we mean really, really, really near. Because if the king is here, how far behind can the kingdom be? But this is, there's this idea that we have to get. Jesus has indeed inaugurated the kingdom. It is now, but it's not here. We are not living in the kingdom, certainly not fully. And so that's that idea where the kingdom is now, but it's also not yet because we're not going to experience it in its fullness until Jesus returns And at the same time, because we are seeking the kingdom as his people, we are in some sense a conduit for bringing the kingdom into this place and into this time. And so the whole idea of the kingdom being now and not yet, all at the same time, is it's it's one of those Jewish ideas that we have to grab a hold of. It's okay to hold two things that are seemingly contradictory, to hold them in tension, and it's, it's okay. How'd that one go, Samuel? I think it went well. Um, I'm focusing on I'm, what's coming to my mind is potentially people's problems with um, hearing you say that, let's see, where is it? To repent is to return to the, quote, law. Mm-hmm. We need to get it in our heads that the Hebrew word for law or Torah in the Hebrew scriptures is literally instruction. Yes. And so to Jewish readers, studiers, rabbi, rabbis, um, God's instruction is not condemning or it's not oppressive. It's actually true freedom to them. Yeah. Because it provides it provides us as much as we can as a human being who is still broken and sinful what God intended for humanity at the beginning. Like, the more that we can align our lives with that instruction, the more that our lives can begin to look like the true man that Jesus, you know, fulfills fully in his life. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something to look at as an oppressive burden. 
it's actually the key to freedom. And that is so counterintuitive, but it's an important, important concept. Well, uh, you know, I was going to go on. I, there's more about repentance that I wanted to talk about, too. And, and notice this, this very interesting. You look at the text, and it says, uh, this is the Luke version, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, there's two ways you could read that. You could say that it is a baptism of repentance, and then that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. Or you could say that he's proclaiming a baptism, and then, okay, a baptism of what? It's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And I'm suggesting that's the proper way to read it, because repentance is the thing that brought the forgiveness, not the baptism. We might even say that repentance, uh, forgiveness, those are things that actually cleanse the soul, whereas the baptism, the symbolic thing, it's just cleansing the body, right? It's the outward symbol of an inward condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, oh, this is such a great picture. Uh, Samuel, if you could read Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 and 26. Yep. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. <laughs> That's so ironic that... <laughs> Where Jesus is saying that, and a minute ago, I was like, Pharisees are great. But, um, <laughs> That's right. Um, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Yeah. Yeah, and we're going to touch on what you just said. But here you can see it. This is Jesus talking, and he's talking about, hey, if you're only looking at things on the outside, you're missing the point. You, 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 you aren't going to get it. Um, you got to clean the inside, and that's what repentance is. Repentance is cleaning the inside. Now, notice what he says. He says, woe to you. He calls out scribes and Pharisees, and then he calls them hypocrites. Now, what we often do here in the West is we go, oh, Pharisee. That's just another name for hypocrite. That's not the way you should read this, okay? Notice he also says, you blind Pharisee. He's not saying, you blind hypocrite. He's saying, you are a Pharisee, and yet you are blind. And we can understand this better if we do something like this. Woe to you, scribes and Christians, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Christian. First, clean the inside of the cup and plate, and then the outside may also be clean, right? If, if we just flip the words like that, make it personal, we can actually understand that comment much better. But, but this is why I'm harping on the repentance. I'm trying to show this is in line with what Jesus is going to be teaching us if you just sort of stick with the podcast and let us get there and show you. Mm-hmm. Well, and it it goes right in line. I mean, baptism, the if you treat it as a commandment and how they followed it, in the same way that they treated sacrifices in the tabernacle and in the temple, bringing the sacrifice, performing all of those you know rituals, that was not what brought forgiveness. They did the the repentance beforehand 
you know, the seeking, returning to God, wanting to change their behavior, their life. And yes. the sacrifice or the baptism in this regard, that is merely like the symbol of what you have already done individually or privately with God. I mean, that's why a lot of the prophets, minor and major in the Old Testament, are so upset with Israel because you know, the writers say, you're bringing sacrifices to me, but inwardly you don't even mean what that symbol represents. Like you're right. just bringing them out of, you know, roteness or whatever. Yeah, it's hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, yeah, it's exactly the same. Yeah, the sin offering, guilt offering, even though it talks about forgiveness, and we'll, we'll get more into this, you, it, was, it was the culmination of repentance and restitution. It was restoring the relationship with God, allowing you to enter back into his presence, it wasn't that the sacrifice was not the thing that brought your forgiveness. So mm-hmm. yeah, great one, Samuel. Good one. Okay. I think we're going to set records for least number of verses accomplished in an episode, <laughs> but let's keep going. I actually still have a lot of points. Uh, we'll see if we can try to keep this back at that hour range <laughs> All right. and we'll just quit early. All right. So here's another one. Who was this John? John the Baptist. Now, we, we've already talked about in prior episodes this idea that he was Elijah, okay? And now, it's not literally, and you know what? Why don't we go back, Matthew eleven fourteen? why don't you read me a little snippet from there, uh, talking about, uh, this is Jesus talking about John the Baptist, so read that. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Yeah. So, even he is saying, if you're willing to accept it, right? It's 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 metaphor, it's symbolism, that kind of thing. But that that's who this John the Baptist is. All three writers agree that Isaiah has given us, you know, pertinent info about this John the Baptist being the Elijah, the forerunner, that kind of thing. And this all comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. That's what they're quoting here. But I, I want to point out this one little bit. Mark does something really interesting. He precedes the quotation with a sentence that none of the others have. He says, behold, I send my messenger before your face. And that was Mark 1, 2, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. And by doing this, he's actually including a couple of other Old Testament scriptures that together are going to bolster This idea that John the Baptist was the Elijah who was to come to precede the Messiah, right? So let's do this one. Go back to Exodus 23.20. If you read part of that for me, Samuel, I'll stop you. Mm -hmm. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way. Yeah. Now, it's true we're talking about an actual angel here, but, but pay attention. We're looking at the text specifically. He says, I send an angel... Uh, Samuel, do you know another translation for angel? Like the the basic meaning of the word? Uh, Isn't it like a deliverer of God's word or a messenger of God's word? Exactly. Yeah. Behold, I send an angel or behold, I send a messenger and it's to guard them on the way. Okay. So hold those two things. I send a messenger the way. And now we're going to go to Malachi 3.1. Start reading that one and I'll stop you. Okay, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. There you go. That's good. All right. So I'm sure you can hear the connection. 
I send an angel, I send a messenger, I send my messenger, uh, guard you on the way, prepare the way, right? Now in Malachi, this just happens to be a pretty widely understood uh, uh, scripture where Elijah is preparing the way for Messiah. So we're making the connections, the, the, the messenger and the way, and then Isaiah 40, verse 3, this is what was quoted here. Uh, go ahead and read that little part again, Samuel. Mm-hmm. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Yeah. And so there you see, prepare the way. And so what, what uh, Mark has done by including that phrase is bring in all of those scriptures, not just Isaiah, and helping us to see, oh, it's the messenger. It's preparing the way. This is Elijah before Messiah. So it's, it's awesome. I mean, Mark is usually the guy that's not saying as much as the other guys, at least in terms of the number of words, right? But he really, he added a lot to the conversation right there. So that's kind of a neat thing. And that's just another way that you can see Here's how Jews communicate. Here's how they teach. Here's how they're trying to help you see not just what the words say, but what they're actually saying. So that's just kind of an important, important mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, if we could, just one last little thing. Go for it. All right. Um, it's it's kind of the question of yeah so okay they're quoting Isaiah what was actually what was Isaiah actually trying to say right and so remember certainly in Isaiah's day this was Jews talking to Jews and even in our gospels um i think there's an expectation that it's either Jews who are reading and listening or they're around to help with the interpretation but basically this what what's being said is this there's going to be a herald and his message will be used, or, or, or the purpose will be to prepare the way through repentance. And that's important, okay? He's repair, preparing the way through repentance, and his message will serve to, uh, if you will, prepare a roadway for not only Messiah, but for Messiah and his people. And that's where you get the bit about raising the hills and filling the valleys, raising meaning like tearing them down, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, fill the valleys so that there's a nice, clear, flat path to follow. And if we could, I'm going to have a bit of a self-serving moment. This is going to take us right back to 2 Timothy 2.15. I don't know if you remember when we talked about in the intro episode, that phrase about rightly handling the word of truth Underneath it was was something more like cutting a clear path. Remember that? Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. So so that relates to this here. What this this uh, uh, prophecy from Isaiah? It's about making a clear path for people to follow, and it's not just a way like any old way. This is the way. This is the way to the tree of life. Or we might say it is the way as instructed in the the law and the Torah. We could say that this is the way that we actually now see incarnate in the Christ. And so, in an 
unexpected sort of way, even from our Second Timothy reference, we see all of these things coming together, trying to get us on the page of John is preparing the way for the Messiah, and the Messiah himself represents the way to life eternal. So it's an awesome picture. Yeah. This is kind of a pop culture reference, and I'm not sure if, <laughs> if you'll get it, Paul, because I don't, I don't, I didn't ask you beforehand if you've watched this show. But to any Star Wars fans, particularly the Mandalorian, they say this is the way in that show a lot, and it just made me ah. think of um, that quote that even in something like that, they they have a way. Yep. Sorry, I'm too old for that one. <laughs> <laughs> and all that means is I actually have appreciated a lot of different movies and TV along the way in life. And, you know, I don't know, call it the last five years or so. There's just been a lot less of that. And so, yeah, I'm I'm missing your reference there, Samuel. Sorry. It's all good. But you know what? I trust it was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, do you have anything else we need to discuss or bring up before we close for this session no man i think seven or eight verses is way too much for one (laughs) one episode don't you (laughs) that really epitomizes bite-sized chunk yeah yeah but this was good this is all really important ideas and references back and all of these things that it may have seemed like a lot, or, or maybe it felt like we, you know, weren't in the text as much as normal. I'm not sure about that. I don't know how it's going to feel. But they're so important for us trying to continue the move forward, because these things are going to come up over and over again. And if you think now that you're only having to take our word for it, I believe that as we continue through the text, you're going to find all of these things that we're talking about very well supported in the text itself. It's just not the way we normally think of it or hear it. Yeah, yeah. Do you have like 30 more seconds for me to throw in this little Jewish tidbit that's been eating at me? Throw it! So there's a rabbi named Ramhal, and I read this a few weeks ago. He compares the Torah, that way that we were talking about, to embers that burst into flame when fanned by those who dedicate themselves to its study. And this is his quote. Oh. And he who strives to engage in Torah study will cause a great and very colored flame to burst forth from every letter, the hues of which are the knowledge that lies concealed within that letter. For the lights that shine upon the letters embody their every aspect, and when a man strives to understand and reads and contemplates, rereads and further contemplates, these very lights ignite and blaze like a flame from a glowing ember. And then the writer says, The intensity of the flame depends upon the personal dedication and efforts of those who engage in its study. So yeah. I thought that was a pretty <laughs> fitting thing to include here at the end. Oh, yeah. It's so good. And for those who, I don't know, maybe there are some out there who are getting a little put off about all this talk about Torah. Don't think we're trying to get you to become Jewish. Don't think we're trying to tell you you have to, you know, obey the law and somehow that's how you get saved. None of that. Get that stuff off of the plate. What we're talking about is things given to you by God for your good that you may have potentially just tossed to the wayside 
that are actually really beneficial, and we're trying to give it back to you so that you can enjoy the goodness, mm-hmm. the freedom, the flame, the all of that. So don't be put off. Don't stop listening. This is going to get better, not worse. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's good stuff. Yeah. So you ready to wrap it up? Yep, we got to do it. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe so that you are notified when our episodes release every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time so that you never miss an episode. Our podcast is now both on the Apple Podcast app and the Podbean app, so make sure you check us out on your mobile device. We also have a Facebook page. Just search Okie Dokie Most and you can like and follow our page as we notify you on new episodes. You can also visit our official website at www.okidokimos.com for more information or to listen online. And finally, if you have any questions or comments for us, please feel free to send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. Until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. Talk to you again soon.